You're listening to the Fitness Matters Podcast with Paula B. And this is episode number 56, Changing Your Past. Hello, 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 my friends, you guys. How dramatic was that intro? (laughs) I'm totally, I'm standing here in my closet, totally laughing at myself because I was like, changing your past. (laughs) But it really is kind of a dramatic topic today. You guys, welcome to the Fitness Matters podcast where we talk about the fitness matters that dramatically matter to you. And, And let me start by telling you, a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to tell you lots of stories today, and I'm going to start with this one, how I am standing in my closet being dramatic, and I can't move. This is part of my drama right now. So it's December, and ordinarily I, um, I, walk around my closet when I'm recording the podcast. Like I put a sleeping bag on the floor and I've got lots of soft surfaces in here with all of the clothes and everything. So it usually muffles not all of the sound. I know you guys can always hear when Blossom is outside the door, like drinking her water or jingling her collar. You can hear when like uh, the phone rang sometime really recently. In fact, I forgot to unplug the phone today too. But anyways, ordinarily, ordinarily, I walk back and forth. I pace in my closet while I'm recording, because if you know me at all, you know that I really like to move when I'm talking. So right now, it's right before Christmas, and this is where we keep all the... Don't tell my kids, but this is where we keep all the Christmas presents. They know that. (laughs) They just know better. They're adults. But so this year happens to be... You know how some years are like small box years, and some years are like big box years? This year is all big boxes. We have so many huge boxes. And my closet isn't all that big. It's it's a walk-in, but it's not big. I can take, I think, three steps back and forth when I'm normally pacing. But I am standing in like a foot and a half little square space where I can almost reach my shoes. I can almost reach my clothes. Like it's been very difficult to get dressed over the past couple of weeks, and it's very difficult to record this podcast. <laughs> So, so if I sound dramatic, like I'm trapped, it's because I feel very trapped right now. (laughs) But hey, you know what? Sometime in the very near future, I can totally change my story about that. That's what we're talking about today. Thank you for, thank you for indulging my fun little intro here, because this is actually a really, really, really interesting topic. And I'm super excited to talk to you about this. This has been on my radar for Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Over a year. In fact, a year and a half. I can tell you exactly. In fact, the story that I'm going to tell you is very meta. It's about changing your past and and it's about changing your past. So I've been thinking about this topic for a year and a half ever since. I very dramatically changed my past with this conversation that I had with my mom. So my mom and I were on... we were on a road trip to, and that's a whole long story in itself. But anyways, we were on a road trip. And so we had a lot of time to just talk and be together. And it was really, really nice. Like this is, this is one of those things that I think to myself, this will be a really nice memory sometime in the future when my mom is gone. I'll totally look back on this time that we spent together because we had a lot of fun. It was super just, it was very interesting to be with only her for four days in a row because I, I don't think I've done that since I was very young since I moved out, probably. So anyways, we were on this road trip, and we were talking about road trips in the past. We had taken this epic road trip when I was a kid in 1975. So I was five years old, 
And we, the whole family, before my parents got divorced, it was all five of us, had taken this road trip from where we lived in Yakima, Washington, to Kearney, Nebraska for a, um, a family reunion on my dad's side of the family. And so, you know, you're traveling from Washington to Nebraska. So we went to, um, Yos- <laughs> I keep trying to say Yosemite, <laughs> but it's Yellowstone, of course. Yosemite is the one here in California. We went to Yellowstone National Park. We went to Mount Rushmore. We saw all kinds of really cool things. Like this was a great, great trip. And of course, it's 1975, which means that all we had to listen to was, you know, AM radio, and the stations were few and far between, and what all of us have always remembered about this trip is that we just constantly heard the same two songs over and over and over, and of course there were other songs, but my vivid, vivid memory of this trip is singing Rhinestone Cowboy and Sister Golden Hair. So, these are two songs that have been in my mind as, like, the the hallmark of this road trip since forever. And in fact, this is something that comes up, maybe not with a lot of frequency, but with some frequency when the family is together. We'll talk about this road trip and, and how my brother lost his baseball hat in Billings, Montana and cried for hours afterwards and how we saw bears at Yellowstone and how it snowed, even though it must have been, I mean, it must have been like June or something. So you know, we have these family memories about this. So my mom and I are on this road trip last April, and we're talking about this road trip from 1975. And she's like, you know what? I just really feel like there was a third song. And I was adamant. I mean, I was five years old in 1975. What do I remember, for heaven's sakes? But I was willing to go to bat for this argument. She and I, I mean, we had a great time, and I'm, I'm going to tell you that we argued about it, but we were both totally laughing about, no, I'm right about this. No, I'm right about this. And it was super funny. And we didn't happen to be driving at the time. We were actually at a restaurant eating. And so, so I, of course, whip out my phone, and I'm like, there is absolutely no way that there was a third song that we were all singing that whole time. Like, I do not remember this at all. And she thought, no, it was like, it was a woman and it was a a pretty song, but it was like kind of sad. Like she had this, this bit of a memory about it that I just did not remember at all. And so I'm looking up, you know, top 100 songs from 1975 on Google and I'm scrolling through all of these lists. And my mother was right there was a third song. There was a third song. It was Midnight Blue by Melissa Manchester. And as soon as I hit the little, oh, let's listen to this song, she and I both knew all the words. We were singing along and kerplooey there in my brain was this fully formed memory of how, of course, there was a third song that whole road trip that we had all sung along with. It, it was on constant rotation between rhinestone cowboy and america singing sister golden hair and apparently melissa manchester singing midnight blue it blew my mind it absolutely blew my mind that suddenly i had a completely different way of thinking about something that i had been thinking about for years i mean i i mean a year and a half ago i was 50 years old. So so I'd been thinking about this for 45 years that there were these two songs while we were on this road trip. And yet, and yet there was something different to be remembered there. Now, now this is not entirely 
the point of what we're talking about. Because I know that you're listening to this story and you're like, well, yeah, Paula, when, when some new information comes to light that is objectively true, of course you can change your memory of the past because there's some new objectively true thing that, you know, was part of what should have been part of your memory the whole time. And I don't disagree with you. However, here's what I'm going to tell you. That incident, <laughs> sounds very dramatic, <laughs> that, that thing that happened between us when we were talking about this, this song that I did not remember and then could remember, it cracked open my brain. And this is why I wanted to start with that story, simply so that you can understand the concept in a very simple way of, of course you can change something that, that you remember about the past. Of course you can. Well, here's what else I'm going to tell you. You can change your thoughts about your past without actually changing any of the facts of the past. Now, here's the thing. I know that you know that your perception of things is your perception. I mean, I know that we all get that, you know, I think all the time about, I grew up in the same house with my brother and my sister, and yet the three of us have really different interpretations of some events that happened in our childhood. And some of that, of course, is because we were in different places and or we were either on the brunt of being yelled at or the one watching it or whatever. Like, like of course, you have slightly different interpretations of your childhood, your shared childhood with your siblings, but also, but also, you know how, maybe you don't know, let me tell you this. I am a criminology major. I actually have a degree in criminology, which is so funny. And there's Blossom jingling, which you probably heard. See, see, you can totally hear things outside the closet. But, but I remember really vividly one, there's two things that I remember from a criminology degree. One of the things that I remember is that eyewitnesses are considered some of the best evidence to go to court with in a crime, and yet they are absolutely almost hands down the worst kind of evidence because three people in the same place at the same time will remember one event in three entirely different ways and not only will they remember it differently if left to their own devices, but if you ask really leading questions, you can change what they think they remember. And that will become their, their memory of what happened. Our memories are thoughts. And of course, that means that I'm going to refer you to the facts versus opinions episode where we can talk about the difference between factual things that we could prove in a court of law, not through eyewitness testimony, but provable things and opinions or thoughts. Your memories are thoughts. They are things that happened and there are certain parts of those things that happened that you could continue to prove. My family took a road trip or my family was in a car driving places, <laughs> even road trip. I mean, that's open to some interpretation. But there are facts that are provable about my story. But everything else, everything I've been telling myself for years is an opinion. It's the way that I interpreted what happened at the time and then repeated over time to myself and got very efficient at telling myself 
There was two songs. There was two songs that we listened to, but there were actually three. And of course, again, there were actually way more than that. I mean, even, even back in the 70s, it's not like they literally played the same three songs over and over. There were dozens of songs that we heard. Objectively, I could probably somehow get the set playlist from some radio station that we could probably prove that we listened to at one time, and I could therefore prove that there are quite a few songs that were played on the radio at a time when we were listening to them. But my story my opinion, my thought, is that there were three songs. And for a long time, I had thought that there were only two. But I was able to change that story by thinking something different. Now, you guys, you and I have talked about changing our thoughts pretty frequently. I mean, we talk about how we can change our opinions of ourselves. And I know that if you have been listening to the podcast for a while, that you are at least kind of on board with that, that you're... You understand intellectually that that's a thing. Maybe it hasn't been super successful for you yet. Maybe it's been like you've changed everything in your life because of it. I have no idea. I I hope hope that it's at least somewhere in between, if not the, the far end of changing your life. But here's what I want to tell you. You can actually change your past with other people. I know. So, you guys, I'm going to tell you some more stories. And I want to start this next story about how I changed my past with my dad by telling you that I have a really good relationship with my dad, that I actually really love my dad and have changed my story with my dad because of this work. I had been working on changing my story with him for a long time, but this work basically changed everything for me. My dad and I have an interesting past. And I don't really think that he's going to listen to this, but I just want to be really clear that I'm not, I don't want to throw my dad under the bus and I don't want your takeaway from this to be like, oh, we had a terrible relationship and now it's not terrible. At the time, for many years, I probably would have classified our relationship as terrible. My dad and I didn't talk to each other for about 12 years and I had a lot of anger and hurt and pain over that at the time. And yet I've been able to heal that, I personally think, completely. My story about my past with my dad and my current relationship with my dad is that we love each other very much. And, and there were times when we didn't talk to each other. And there were times when it felt difficult at the time, but that I can see in a different way now because of this work. So here's what I'm going to tell you. My dad and I didn't talk to each other for a while, and that happened at a time when I was going to college. So, my, my, both of my brother and my sister are older than me. So, when my brother went to college, I don't actually know all of the financial details. By the way, hey, we're going to talk about money again. <laughs> this, is, this is always fun. Let's bring up two like really sticky, thorny topics and combine them, shall we? This was the way I was able to change my relationship with my dad was part of me changing my relationship with my money, which we have talked about for at least a couple of times now. Um, I'll point you in the, the direction of the episode whose title and number I don't remember. I'll have to look this up. I know that there's an entire episode where I actually talked about money, even though what I was talking about was something else. And I never remember which one it is. I should really, really take notes on this. Anyways, anyways, I was doing the work on changing my relationship with money. And I had a lot of 
a lot of thoughts about my dad and money. I don't actually know the exact financial details of my brother going to college. I know that he got out of college with no student loans, and the way I've always understood it is that my parents just paid for it, that it was kind of a done deal. I don't know that for a fact, though, and don't need to know. Anyways, anyways, my brother, in my opinion, <laughs> got out of college with you know a free ride. My sister got lots of financial aid when she went to college and um, was also able to get out with no loans. And my dad used to send her money because the one of the terms of my parents' divorce was that he would send child support until, I think until we were 21 or out of college, something like that. I don't remember. Again, I don't, I don't need to know the exact wording. I was 10 when my parents got divorced. I never really needed to know that except for how it did apply to me because, so my sister got her, her stipend the whole time that she was in college. And then my dad and I stopped talking to each other when I was 18. So I ended up, and you guys have heard at least part of the story before about how it took me nine years to get through my four-year degree. I ended up, I, I mean, I, I had a lot of problems for a lot of things, but anyways, I, I went to college and couldn't afford it. And, you know, my mom, couldn't really afford to help me out. And so I, I stopped and started a lot. I went to community college for quite a few years while I was working full time. And then when I ended up going to the college that I ended up graduating from, I, I worked while I was there and I took out student loans. So I ended up having, which sounds like nothing right now. I only had $10,000 in student loans. At the time though, in the nineties, I mean, it was kind of a lot. I, I ended up taking out a, a fair bit of, of student loans because I just, I didn't have the money in order to pay for it. And, and I did work, but the working was much more for, I mean, it was part-time. It was, it was more like fun money. But anyway, so I had it in my mind that there was a correlation between my dad paying for college and like the amount of love he had for me and for my siblings. And I feel, I feel like it's pretty clear that those things are not related, but I've also shared with you other stories about how when I was a kid, how the three of us got an allowance and our allowance was based on our age. So we got five cents per year of our age. And my brother, you know, being five years older than me, obviously earned a lot more allowance than I did. And I remember being really infuriated by that when I was very young. Like, and so I had these, these two really specific instances of my brother being the most valued, you know, in terms of money and my sister being, you know, more valued than me in terms of money and me feeling unvalued. And a lot of those thoughts were just, just buried way deep down. I mean, you know, the first thought about, I don't make as much allowance as my brother and sister, that was buried, that was relegated to the deep, deep depths of my brain forever. I honestly never consciously thought about that memory until I, oh my gosh, like three years ago, four years ago, maybe. No, maybe five at this point. But I mean, until really recently, like it was just part of my subconscious programming of you're less valuable. You don't, you don't make as much money as other people. And, and your dad doesn't love you as much as he loves your brother and sister. Like this was just something that I thought without even consciously realizing that I had ever thought it. And the, the college situation kind of confirmed that. It, it gave my brain the opportunity to just get really efficient at thinking this thought, you're less valuable than your siblings. You're less loved than your siblings. 
And, and these thoughts were not something that I would wake up in the morning and be like, man, my dad doesn't love me as much as my brother and sister. Like it never, ever really came out consciously like that. But in the background, all the little things that might happen, you know, that do happen in the course of a family. I mean, being a parent and seeing how easy it is to treat my children slightly different from one another and understanding how they might interpret those slight differences that have absolutely nothing to do with how much I love them, because of course I love them both beyond measure. But but understanding from my perspective now that of course it's just regular things that happened in the course of our lives, but my brain took them all as evidence. Oh, yep, that's right. You're loved less. Oh, that's right. You're not worth as much money. Oh, that's right. You just, you don't make as much money. It's hard for you. You just, you're not really that lovable. Those were things that my brain just worked on. They got really efficient at thinking that. And even though it was never like conscious in my mind, every once in a while, something would kind of pop up a, a bad feeling when, you know, I was with my dad and my brother and my sister, that, that kind of, I'm not loved as much feeling. I, mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Even though the words themselves wouldn't necessarily pop in my head, that was how I felt for a long time in the presence of my siblings and my parents that, that I just wasn't loved as much as them. But something happened one time when I was with my dad and my siblings that that really opened my mind to, first of all, hearing what I was telling myself, what my brain had become very efficient at thinking, and second of all, to interpreting everything about my past really differently. So we were at my sister's house and having dinner and hanging out. I mean, my dad was coming to visit. And so we were all here. Um, and it happened to coincide with my brother being here too, which was extremely rare. And I mean, it was, it was on purpose. It was when my sister was sick. So, I mean, we all knew it was going to be the last time we were all together. But when we were there, my dad was, I, I have literally no idea how or why he was telling this story, but he happened to be telling my husband the story of my birth which I really cannot imagine why that came up, but it did. And so my dad is regaling my husband with this story. And to be fair, you know, it was the 60s when the three of us were born. So I'm the only one of my dad's children that he actually saw born. You know, he was in the waiting room for both my brother and my sister. So of course, this is like a big memory for him. <laughs> I have no doubt that if he'd seen all three of us, that this story probably would have been a little bit more like, you know, oh, or maybe not come up at all or would have been a little bit more mild. But I mean, for him, it's literally the only birth he'd ever seen. And so it was, it was a really big deal. And so he's telling this story about, you know, know how exciting it was and and how I came out and it's, it's kind of funny because he tells the story about how I came out asleep and how the doctor really had to like slap me on the feet and stuff to wake me up and I'm like are you saying I wasn't breathing when I was born like I'm super curious about that now <laughs> it's kind of interesting so so yeah I'm, I'm really curious now about the actual facts of my birth but my dad telling the story he was just so proud and so excited. I mean, you know, 40 whatever years later, he's telling my husband this story like it happened yesterday. And he was just so excited about, about me being born. 
And I thought for perhaps the first time in my entire life, oh my gosh, my dad is really happy I'm alive. And I mean, obviously he is like, this shouldn't have been a revelation to me, but it really was. It felt like the first time I had ever truly acknowledged and thought that my dad really, really loves me, like really loves me. And because of that thought, I consciously, like really truly went through my mind and asked my brain to bring me evidence that my dad has always thought of me as valuable. Now, here's the thing about your brain. Your brain loves to agree with itself and it loves to be right. And this is not just a joke. I mean, I know that we all kind of joke like all the time, like mama's always right. <laughs> but, but your brain actually really, really is like biologically hardwired to think of itself as being right. This is why we have confirmation bias, meaning that if we think something is true, all our brain is going to do is look for evidence that something is true. This is how our brain has evolved. I mean, it's supposed to solve problems, but it's also supposed to be pretty efficient at solving problems. So when it thinks something and it has already spent it, you know, spent the energy on, on deciding something, it's going to go out of its way to be like, oh no, this is true because, you know, here's, here's all the evidence that I can bring you about why this particular thing is true. This is also why guilt feels so strong. Your brain loves to agree with itself and wants to be right. So when you say to yourself, I'm going to wake up early and exercise, and then you don't do it, your brain is like, which one of these things is right? I, I said I was going to, but then I didn't. Your brain goes into like trauma about how it wanted to be right about something. And these are diametrically opposed things that cannot be you know, they can't be compromised together. You cannot do both things at the same time. Therefore, one of them must be wrong and your brain hates that. So, so when you want to change your past, ask your brain for evidence of the new thing that you would like to believe. So when I started asking my brain, what if my dad has always thought I was valuable? I had, and I, I, I cannot express to you how shocking this was to me and how delightful it still is. I had hundreds, probably thousands. I've never counted them. I had hundreds, possibly thousands of memories of all the times my dad had said something like, oh, I'm so proud of you, or had noticed something specific about me, or had paid me some sort of a compliment, or had thought about me, and just all kinds of evidence for how much my dad values me. So here's what I did. I started practicing thinking about that. I started literally like on purpose practicing thinking, what if my dad has always found me valuable? And I asked it as a question because your brain loves to answer questions. Like this is, this is part of the little trick to this, this changing your past thing is when you ask something as a question to your brain, a very leading question. I mean, this is, this is not a court of law. <laughs> this is go find me evidence that my dad has always found me valuable. It's not asking like, am I valuable? Am I valuable? My brain's going to come up with all kinds of evidence for why I'm not. 
find me evidence for why I am valuable, my brain did have to work a little harder at first, but then, but then it just kept bringing me evidence. Here you go. Here's all the times when your dad has found you valuable. Here's all the times when other people have found you valuable. Here's all the reasons why you can find yourself valuable. I have, over the course of the last however long it's now been since I had this conversation with my dad and had this revelation about how I could change my perception of our relationship, I have completely changed our relationship. And this is what I'm going to, I'm going to pause here super, super quickly because I've spent so much time talking about, you know, my childhood and my parents and stuff. I, I, I want you to know that first of all, I'm not dealing with any kind of actual abuse or trauma. And and if you are, yes, these principles apply, but also this is not like your standard therapy. I am not a mental health specialist. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. I do have advice for you, but if you are talking about actual abuse, actual trauma, there is a professional who can and should help you work through that. I'm talking here about the normal kind of junk that we tell ourselves about our parents and about our childhood and about our siblings or about ourselves just kind of in general and about our relationships with people who, like my dad, always loved us, but maybe we had a tough time showing each other. When I asked myself for evidence that of course my dad had always loved me, it became incredibly easy to believe that my dad has always loved me. And of course he has. I feel like I've said that numerous times, but I never felt like it. And you know why I never felt like it? Because I never thought like it. I had lots of thoughts, lots of stories, lots of drama in my own mind about my relationship with my dad that caused me pain for years, for years and years and years. I had simply been telling myself that he didn't love me as much as my siblings, that he didn't value me monetarily or otherwise at all, let alone, you know, compared to my siblings. When I had a new thought about those exact same events, when I thought differently, I changed my past and my relationship with my dad. I have changed the way I think about my childhood. I can see from a different perspective why my parents did the things that they did and what it really meant. Yeah, they gave us a different allowance, but it had nothing to do with me being valuable and it had everything to do with them probably trying to save money if I had to guess. Like, like I don't actually have, have like corroboration on this, but, but based on my parents' stories that I have heard from them my whole life about how poor we were, that was probably what they were thinking. It was probably a very practical solution to wanting to give us money, but not really having, in their opinion, a lot of it to give. They simply made a choice. It didn't mean anything. And I could have interpreted that any way I want to. 
Now I choose to interpret it as a choice they made that had nothing to do with me or my value. When you change your past, here's where we get to the practical steps. I know I've already actually given you the practical steps, but, but here's what I want you to know. When you want to change your past, the first thing you have to do is actually hear what you're telling yourself. Like I've mentioned, I had no idea how often I had been repeating to myself that I did not have any value. I sat down this was part of my money work. And I think I explained this in the upper other episode that I still don't know, where I sat down and I wrote out all the thoughts that I had about money and all the incidences in my lifetime where I felt like troubled about money. So when I dug up that memory of the allowance and college and, and stuff like that, I will tell you that I mean, we've mentioned this before about how my work with money started with Denise Duffield Thomas. And one of her biggest things is to make this list and then forgive everybody, including yourself, for all the times that you had this, this weirdness around money. So, so I had already forgiven my dad for it and really done the work on that and really had brought it up very consciously on purpose. You may or may not make an entire list of all the things that have ever gone wrong in your life. I mean, it's kind of overwhelming to do, frankly. But I will tell you that because I was so concentrated on money, this is what I will actually offer you. I would make a list of all the things that surround a specific topic in your life. For example, if you are working on losing weight, this this is a really good list. All the times that people have said something to you about your weight. All the times that people have sent you messages about, I've shared this story before about my grandmother telling me that, or not telling me, telling somebody else when there was a birthday cake out that, oh, I bet Paula could eat that whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's such a funny story that that has no meaning. Like, why in the world would anybody say that? I have no idea, but it's super funny to me now. At the time, I took it to mean my grandmother thinks I'm fat and that I eat too much. This is what I'm going to tell you. When you interpret things that other people say or do in a specific way, you are creating a story. Get those stories out onto paper so that you can even see that they're stories. I had no idea that I was telling myself the things that I was telling myself until I wrote them down. Write them all down in a nice long list. And then I am going to actually encourage you to forgive everybody. I really like this part of the process. I think that the world does not have enough forgiveness. And every time we can practice it, it's just helpful for everybody. When you can simply forgive people for saying the things they said and doing the things they did, it'll really open your mind to being compassionate for why other people say and do the sometimes ridiculous things that they say and do. They just do. <laughs> and sometimes you do too. It'll open your brain to being really compassionate for how ridiculous we all are. We all say things that we don't really mean. We all say things unintentionally that truly hurts another pe person's feelings in a way that we don't know because we don't know how they're interpreting them. When you can see all of these stories you've been telling yourself and forgive the other people and yourself for your part in all of them. It'll pave the way for you to be able to change your past. 
when you're doing the forgiveness work, and this wasn't automatic for me, but I'm going to tell you that it really can be for you. When you're doing the forgiveness work, ask your brain for evidence that there is some other way to think about this situation, not just so that you can forgive, but so that you can actually truly see it differently. Now, here's the thing that I'm going to tell you about changing your past. I wanted to change my past. I wanted to change my relationship with money, really specifically, and then along the way, hey, nice bonus, I changed my relationship with my dad. Like, that was really important to me. It was something that I really worked on. You will find in the course of your thought work that there are some things that you don't really need to change. When I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking about Actually, one of the examples that I was going to give you about how you can, how you know that your situation is always an interpretation, that it's always an opinion. There was a teacher that my youngest son had in elementary school that I had heard for years and years and years. Oh, this is the best teacher on campus. Oh, this is why you want to be on this particular track so you can have this particular teacher and you're going to love her and blah, blah, blah. She had this great reputation from so many parents and my my interpretation, my story of my son being in that classroom is that she didn't like him and she was not nice to him and I did not like her at all. And I actually felt like it was a really difficult year for my son because of this teacher. And here's the thing. I I absolutely, you can probably hear it in my voice, I absolutely have some anger and some bitterness about this. And of course I could change my interpretation. Of course I could be sympathetic and compassionate towards her. And of course, if it caused me actual pain to think about this, I could do the work here. But I haven't. I haven't and I'm not super likely to. I mean, at some point, if I get bored with the other stuff that I'm working on, I might come back around to some of the things in my kid's childhood that need a little work, this being one of them. Like, I could. I totally could but I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to go ahead and be angry and bitter about it. I'm absolutely going to share my anger and my bitterness here on the podcast without mentioning any kind of names because it's not important, but this is the thing that I'm telling you. you. You understand that the things that you go through are subject to your own interpretation. And sometimes, even if you don't have a good feeling about something, you don't have to change it. You never have to change your thoughts. I offer you on this podcast the opportunity to change things so that if you want to, you can feel better about stuff. You can feel positive and empowered and excited about the future and good about yourself. But you don't have to do any of this work. The things that you want to stay angry or bitter about or sad about or whatever, go ahead. Like there's no, there's no objective standard for how much of this work you like have to do. It's always up to you to feel the way that you want to feel. I really wanted to feel better about money. I really wanted to feel better about my dad. I really wanted to feel better about myself. My kid's teacher, I I don't care. I don't care that much. And maybe it affects me in ways that someday I will care. Maybe it actually is underlying something else that I do want to change at some point in the future. These tools really do work in whatever situation you want them to. Again, 
there are some situations in which you might definitely prefer slash need professional help with that. Please, please, please. I feel like I'm very clear about that on any episode where we talk about big, deep stuff. Please go get professional help. I'm, I'm simply talking in my closet about, about interesting things. This is not, this is not therapy. Sometimes it can feel like it, but this is not meant to be therapy. There is absolutely a time and a place for legitimate professional therapy. And there's also a time and a place for you digging in and changing your past in a way that just totally works for you. I would love to know. I shared all kinds of fun stories about my past that I have been able to reshape. If you have something fun that you would like to share, I would love to hear it because it's so interesting and freeing to change your past. You guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again soon. So are you totally loving this mindset work and you really want to do it like, you know, every day in order to get your goal? Then my friend, you need to join the Get Your Goal group. It is my personal and private, very interactive coaching and accountability group where every day we talk about your mindset and we get your goal. You can learn all about it at paulabfitness.com slash get dash your dash goal. I'll see you in the goal group.